ball pretty well hit left field. Conine towards the corner. Conine towards the wall. Leaping and he got it. What a grab by Jeff Conine. Conine swings in the first pitch. High fly ball left field. Deep. It's up. Outside the box with Jeff Conine, I'm Aram Layton. He's Jeff Conine, and we've got a really good episode because World Series is coming up, and you know a little bit a little bit about the World Series, Jeff. You, you've been in a couple of them, and we're going to talk a little bit about what it takes to get there, and I want a little bit of your predictions and thoughts and just everything on what's happened so far. Have you enjoyed the playoffs so far? Uh, it's been, uh, first of all, Thanks for having me on. It's it's been a little bit of a, a while, but um, you know these playoffs, as most years, uh, you know you kind of go into them thinking you know what's going to happen, thinking you know which teams are favored. Uh, you predict was what's going to happen in the in the NLCS, ALCS, World Series. But every single year, it seems like damn, these are crazy playoffs, and whatever you expected was going to happen did not happen, and that is definitely the case this year. Yeah, uh, especially on the on the National League side. I mean. Um, you know, American league side, I kind of, mm-hmm. that did not surprise me where the Astros are. That's just a damn good team. Uh, but what happened in the national league with two of the hundred team wins being knocked off early. Wow. That was crazy. And, uh, we've spoken about it before and it's a lot to be said about the teams that are struggling to get in there and struggling playing up to the last day of the season, uh, to make it to the playoffs versus a team that's so far ahead. They've coasted for six eight weeks and they're kind of like setting up their rotation to play out in the playoffs. Well, those two teams are gone and the ones that were struggling at the end to get in there are still around. So we're going to talk about, you know, the teams that are there, the Astros and the Phillies, uh, a little bit of a, a David and Goliath matchup, but in ways also, I think that undersells how talented this Phillies roster is, but I mean, for a lot of the season, this was not a team that very many people were taking seriously, uh, myself included. Uh, But I also want to talk about the playoffs in general, because this is a topic that gets discussed a lot. We get a lot of questions on it on the Just Baseball show, but we're three dudes that never played near a professional level, let alone the MLB playoffs and World Series. So this is a really cool opportunity to pick your brain on, on a few of the, I would say, big topics that came about because of the way that the playoffs unfolded. One of them being with the new playoff format, which I did like, I like having more teams in the fold. I like having, you know, more teams being competitive, feeling like they have a chance down the stretch, but it did result in a little bit more of a break for those teams that won the division. And coincidentally, there were some more upsets this year, too small of a sample size. I think to you know draw any major conclusions from does that time off really hurt you or help you as a team. But You could probably add a little bit more to this from a player's perspective. Uh, Do you find it a bit coincidental that a lot of the teams that had that time off ended up getting upset uh, in those early series? Or do you think that's something that, you know, maybe affects some teams more than others or or really isn't much of a distinguishing factor? Well, I've always thought that uh, too many days off are not good for a baseball player. We're used to playing every single day. 
uh, you know, you get a day off and you come back the following day and it almost seems like your timing's a little bit messed up even after one day off. Wow. So uh, when you put four or five, even a week in there uh, of these division winners, like you're talking about that, that aren't able to see live pitches and I, you can scrimmage all you want and, and, you know, you can take uh, velo BP off, off machines, uh, but you just cannot replicate the energy and the intensity of a regular season game. So I don't think it's a coincidence um, that those guys sat around for a long time and, and now they're bounced out of the playoffs. Uh, credit to Houston Astros for taking that time off and still trampling everybody <laughs> the whole way through. Yeah. So, you know, it, they're composed um, of a roster of guys that uh, have are veteran guys that, that weathered that time off well and the others didn't. So what are your thoughts on that then with, with the new format kind of really emphasizing more of that break for those teams that it do perform well through the regular season? Is that a disadvantage in some ways? Uh, obviously not for the Astros, but as we flesh this out, we want to give the biggest advantage to these teams that, you know, get that by through the first round, like the Braves who ultimately lost like the Dodgers who ultimately lost uh, like the Yankees who did end up getting by Cleveland, didn't look great and then got swept. So uh, I don't know if anything would have helped the Yankees there, but ultimately you know, we saw two of the biggest upsets that were made from teams that got that break. Is that something that you think baseball should look into? Uh, how should that be treated? I think they need more of a sample size, even though you're saying it from a player's perspective. And I'm sure there's many players saying the same things in, you know, baseball's in MLB's ear right now, which is this advantage that you're giving us might not be that much of an advantage, but there's not really a great solution either. Not if you expand them like they have and put this extra round of playoffs in an extra team. Uh, there's really no other way to do it. And unless some geniuses can come up with a, with a way to uh, to put some games in there to keep from having these teams with such a long period of time off, uh, that's the way it's going to be. But, you know, like you said, small sample size, it uh, doesn't co totally uh, agree across the board because the Astros have done it. They've, they they yeah. took that huge amount of time off and now they're in the world series. So they haven't lost a game. <laughs> uh, yeah. It'll, it'll, it'll see how this plays out in years to come, but I do enjoy having the extra team in there. I do enjoy having the division series now five games instead of three um, just kind of, um, you know, elongate those playoffs. I hated the one game and done. Um, I know we talked about that thing. last that was terrible. Year. Um, so uh, overall, I think it's been good for baseball overall. It's been good for viewership and fans. Um, but that one uh, caveat is that it's not great for the team that has to sit around in my opinion. It's funny, too, because the team that's in the World Series out of the National League is a team that would not have been in the playoffs in previous formats. They were the sixth seed on the National League side, the Philadelphia Phillies. Um, you know, a lot of people like to compare World Series teams to other World Series teams and, you know, other pennant winners to other pennant winners. And there's always going to be similarities uh, because that's just the way it is. In your case, you were on two World Series teams, 97-2003. I mean, without a doubt, the 2003 team shares more similarities to the Phillies than maybe the 97 team did. Uh, and 
I want to get into that a little bit. Uh, we can also talk about Dave Dombrowski, uh, the general manager for the Phillies, who I know you have a good relationship with from your time uh, sharing the Marlins organization as he was the general manager when you were there in 97, correct? That was the World Series that Dombrowski won with the Marlins. Uh, I do want to focus on what the Phillies are doing right now. Uh, and also just the playoffs in general, because the Padres too, the Dodgers were one of the most dominant regular season teams we've seen in a long time. And, you know, they, they were pretty much bullied by the Padres in a lot of ways. How, and this is a very cliche thing that I feel like it's discussed a lot, but this year really kind of nailed it into my head. How unpredictable are the playoffs really? Like it, it, how much is it really just getting hot at the right time? We, we hear people say it all the time, but I feel like this year has been the epitome of it. Is it really, if you talk about just how good a team is like the Astros on one end versus getting hot at the right time on the Phillies end, how much of it is one way or the other, you know, versus having the best team on paper, having the team that's cohesive and dominates a regular season versus the team that just gets really hot. Well, it's a little bit of both. Um, you know, even though the Phillies on paper shouldn't be where they are right now, they got hot at the at the at the last moment or the last uh, tail end of the season just to make the playoffs. Like you said, they're the sixth team getting in uh, to the postseason. Well, that creates a lot of momentum. That creates a lot of um, energy in that clubhouse to continue on because they're on a roll, right? They've made the the clubhouse or or they've made the playoffs or in the top um, in that clubhouse has been the energy is off the charts. Uh, they continue doing that. So they win the first series. Now they've got some momentum going, man. They feel it. Uh, we're not supposed to be here. We're the underdog. We win again. And now it's like this, you know, a bunch of bowling balls just rolling towards you with all this momentum. Um, I think there's a lot to be said for that. You know, with the team that, like I said, you know, the Dodgers had a 30 game lead. They literally could not have played the last two weeks of the season and still finished in first place by 10 games. So now they're talking about, oh, let's let's start resting guys and, and let's uh, we don't want anybody to get hurt. And let's start uh, f- setting up the pitching staff and start limiting innings. And you know what? I, I think that takes away that competitive balance, that competitive edge that guys in a professional level really need to do big things in the playoffs. And, you know, hats off to the Astros. Uh, they had a huge lead as well. They were comfortably ahead of everybody else, but they did it and they did it. They're, they're doing it. I mean, they just swept the Yankees. Uh, in the ALCS. So, um, you know, it goes both ways, but I always favor the team that that had to fight to get in the playoffs. And, uh, you know, I was on two teams and we were both wildcard teams. We both times we won the World Series. So uh, I know what that momentum feels like and I know how that can help you propel uh, deep into the playoffs. So building off of that, that narrative of, of similarities from World Series teams and, and one very distinct similarity between your 2003 Marlins and the Phillies is the firing of a manager early in the year. Uh, the Phillies part ways with Joe Girardi. The Marlins parted ways with Torborg way early in the season after a, a poor start in 03. Um, when you look at what what changed for the Marlins and, and what changed for the Phillies, I mean, the Phillies end up staying internal. And, and go with Rob Thompson, who clearly the players love. They were over the moon when when he ends up, you know, getting that interim kind of label removed from his forehead and, and ends up being that that full-time manager for the Phillies. Uh, Jack McKeon with the Marlins, you talk about it. I know you, you've mentioned it in the past. He just let you guys play and you guys took it and ran. Uh, how much 
is that a coincidence with some of these teams that have the managerial switch and kick it into gear? And this is not to bash the previous manager. It's always just sometimes it's not the right fit, right? But how much does that really change things? Because I do feel like at the end of the day, you're out there, you're playing and, and you know, there's so much out of the manager's control. But again, you talk about cultivating a clubhouse and, and building a culture and all those things. A lot of that does lie on the manager. I mean, it's obviously not a total coincidence that both of you guys in 03 and this Phillies team fired their manager and, and totally turned things around. But how much of that was actually having a new guy in charge? Um, I don't know. You know, uh, it's, it's eerily similar, you know, even in the, in the point of time during the season that the, the managers were fired both on the 03 Marlins and this year with the Phillies. A uh, similar amount of games. I think the Phillies uh, gave Girardi a little bit longer, but, you know, Torborg was a great guy. I think he was well-liked in the clubhouse. Um, it was just a, <clears throat> I think, a, a time where they said, we got to make a change. And uh, hopefully that'll light a fire under a very talented team. And you know what? After that's <clears throat> that firing and the uh, hiring of Jack McKeon as the manager, the Marlins were the best team in baseball from that point on to the end of the season, the best record in all of baseball. So that instance obviously worked. It lit a fire and these guys played really hard for Jack. And, you know, I came in three months later, I, I only spent the last month and a half of the season, <clears throat> including the playoffs with Jack and that team. But there are a lot of similar similarities that you, you find. Um, I think the Phillies won what they won 88 games this year. We won 91. Yeah. <clears throat> um, you know, you're digging yourself out of a hole super early in a season. Uh, we were 10 games under 500. I think they were seven or eight games under 500. Uh, when the new managers took over and, you know, sometimes it's just that as a player, you know, you look at your leader and he's gone, you know, and you feel sometimes to blame because especially if you like the guy and you got him fired because your team's underperforming, uh, you feel bad. So when somebody new comes in, let's, you know, let's rally the troops and, and let's start playing better baseball. And um, it happened uh, this year and, and with us. And then when you get to the point of a world series here and, we talk about the, the 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 two differences between the Astros and the Phillies. The Astros, everybody expected to be there in a, in a lot of ways. I think they've become, I don't want to say dynasty because you got to win multiple championships, but they're a dynasty light in a way with how they're able to get to the American League Championship Series seemingly every single year uh, and just seem to have it like clockwork for them. Even Correa, he, he leaves. They plug in Jeremy Pena rookie shortstop who's been phenomenal and was the ALCS MVP. It just seems like it's, it's a mill there in Houston with the way they're able to churn out talent and keep plugging guys in on the other end. We've, we've kind of set the scene with the Phillies, but they've got that momentum. When you went in facing the Yankees, right? The 03 Yankees, which you talk about is one of the best, most talented teams you've probably ever faced with, with a litany of hall of famers or guys that, that should have been. How do you go into that series? Did you feel like you had nothing to lose as the Marlins? And do you think that the Phillies have that similar, you know, not as much to lose type of feeling versus the Yankees who have to win every single year or it's a disappointment. And the Astros who have gotten to the world series now got there last year, lost should have won that one by, by the Vegas odds and have, have been disappointing in the world series overall. Well, I would say definitely that Houston has um, somewhat of a dynasty going right now. Just, goes to show you how good they have been over the last few years, uh, but it goes to show you how difficult it is to repeat in this game, to get all the way to the World Series and win uh, in consecutive years. It hasn't been done in a long time for, for good reasons. Um, and, you know, uh, 
they're as close to a dynasty as you're going to have in, in, in baseball, you know, right now, I think. Um, and when you look at, you know, the similarities between our team and theirs, um, we came in with a ton of momentum. Um, we go against the Yankees. Every, every, basically every level or every series that we had that year, we were the underdogs. We were not supposed mm-hmm. to beat the Giants. We're definitely not supposed to beat the Cubs. And of course, the Almighty Yankees, after that series they had with the Red Sox uh, in game seven, we're definitely not supposed to beat them. But we view, viewed it as we're out here having fun. You know, we made the playoffs, we're having fun. We got all this momentum. We got a bunch of guy, great guys in the clubhouse. You know, Miguel Cabrera is 20 years old and he's handling it like it's any other series, like nothing, just an extenuation or extension of the, of the season. You know, uh, Dontrell Willis was just the happiest go lucky guy you've ever seen. Could care less, didn't show any nerves or anything like that. So I think we just as a team said, screw it, let's play our hearts out and see what happens. And we just had a blast doing it. And I think that's what kind of uh, was the uh, the thing that that helped us most win is just because we had so much fun doing it. And I look at the Phillies, right? They they are a team that you can tell is having fun. Citizens Bank Park, you've talked about even your brief experience playing in Philadelphia, just how intense those fans are uh, and how much they get behind their team. And it's been rocking in Philly. I don't know if we've seen anything really like that in, in, in some time in terms of, of how loud, fun, and just electric the environment looks. But what's interesting is they've got several youngsters too. They're starting shortstop Bryson Stott, rookie, center fielder. Uh, Brandon Marsh, rookie, third baseman, Alec Bohm, second year guy who has had his own, you know, ups and downs uh, with the fans and, and both statistically as well. And then they've got the vets, of course, too. Bryce Harper, polarizing player for a lot of his careers and really enjoying this, this maturity and second phase that I think has really won him, you know, won a lot of fans over for him. And, and this performance in the postseason has just been next level. You got Schwarber, who's a beloved guy that really matches JT Real Muto, who's a stud. But one thing that always stuck with me that you've said time and time again, whether we're on air or I'm just hanging out at your house and it's how a couple pitchers, you specifically said three, but even in this case with the Phillies, a two headed monster can carry you to the promise. And the Astros crazy stat, by the way, they only have two pitchers that through this year, uh, through multiple innings this year that have an ERA over four. So 99.3% of their innings were pitched by guys with sub four ERAs. That's, that's just depth by definition. The Phillies, it's a one-two punch of Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola. They, they've pieced together the back of the bullpen too. But how much does that really just help you in the playoffs? Having that two-headed monster, so to speak. I know we say three, but even two in this Phillies instance. Is that enough in a World Series? Two guys you really trust and maybe you piece it together the rest of the way. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, you got those two guys that can really keep you in any game doesn't matter who what the, who the opponent is uh you know Wheeler and Nola are going to be uh, competitive against every anyone um and I think the Phillies now feel that they have enough offensive punch to be able to give those guys a lead or stay in a game long enough to let their bullpen take over their bullpen back of their bullpen's been phenomenal as well um so when you look at you know the ungodly pitching of the Astros and you've got those two guys the front of the rotation for the Phillies and then the back end of that bullpen, I think that they're, they feel they can compete in any game. doesn't matter. So, you know, that three and four start starter, a lot of times you don't even need a fourth starter. You got that third starter that they can piece together there in Philly and, and put together a, a competitive pitching staff um, that, you know, who knows, you, you don't know what's going to happen in the playoffs. That's the, the beauty of it, but you got those the two studs at the top. That's going to take you a long way. 
the other thing that I, I very much want a player's perspective on, how much does home field advantage matter in baseball? Uh, obviously hitting last, last licks is probably the most important thing in a, in, a, in a lot of ways, especially if you go to extra innings. But fr- from a pure just standpoint of of just having the fans and the crowd behind you, it's not like the NFL where it's it's third down and it's so loud you can't even hear the quarterback's cadence, right? It, it, and, and it's a pure adrenaline sport where you want to go a thousand miles a minute and, and the more adrenaline you have, the better you are. Baseball, you want to be under control. And a lot of times you talk about tuning out all the noise. So how much does home field advantage matter? Because I look at it's two, three, two, right? I believe that's, that's the, so if it's two, three, two and they split in Houston to start it, how much of an advantage could the Phillies have? Cause on paper, right? The Astros are better in just about every single facet. How much can that help them to be home in Philly or maybe not that much? I mean, as players, you know, we call it home field advantage cause we love playing at home, right? We get, to sleep in our own bed and you've got the hometown fans that are so loud and crazy. You get that energy that you're feeding off of them. Um, but, but come playoff time, you know, I'd love to see a historical analysis, how many times the home team has won <clears throat> versus the visiting team, or uh, when you have home field advantage throughout the playoffs. So Astros now they've got the whole home field advantage because it's two, three, two. So technically they possibly have four home games versus three for the Phillies. Um but then you look a few years back at the Washington Astros series, not one game was won by the yeah. Young team. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's a crazy game that way. Um, you just don't know. I mean, I obviously think there's a slight advantage to the home team just because like you've talked about the energy and, and citizens bank right now is off the charts. I mean, these people live and, and breathe and die by their Phillies. And I think it's similar to the Cubs, you know, when we were in the playoffs with the Cubs in 03, you know, that was one of the loudest stadiums, even though it's smaller capacity wise, it's one of the loudest places I've ever been to in my life. I played in front of a lot of crowds, but that Cubs crowd was maybe the loudest I'd ever heard at that time. So there's a lot to, to be said about that. But then again, we won. <laughs> we beat them yeah. twice at Wrigley Field to win the series. So was there an advantage? I don't know. So going on the Astro side of things, too. They've got this guy named Justin Verlander, who is is one of the few guys uh, really left that have pitched since the, the relatively early 2000s. And it is where as we're just seeing him just kind of put the finishing touches on what is a Hall of Fame career. Did you face Verlander much throughout your career when when he was first coming up? And uh, what what stood out to you with him? Did you ever envision this kind of career from Verlander. And then I want to hear a little bit about just how much you appreciate his longevity and what he's done now to presumably win the Cy Young after coming off of Tommy John surgery and, and going on 40 years old. Yeah, I faced him. Um, I don't know what I did off him, but I'm pretty sure I faced him uh, when he was with the Tigers and I was with the Orioles. Um, you know, and, and you look at a guy like that, you don't ever think that a guy that, especially back then, he was throwing you know, 95 to hundred back then, which was something special. You never expect a guy throwing that hard to have this kind of longevity. And especially when he's almost to be turning 40, still throwing 97 to hundred. That's insane. Um, goes to show you, you know, his work ethic goes to show you his genetic makeup of, uh, what kind of an athlete he is, his mental strength. Um, and you know, he's a once, or twice in a lifetime type pitcher that, you know, you see throw this long and have that kind of dominance uh, that far into their career. It's been, 
it's been fun to watch. You know, you, there aren't many guys left that are still playing that, that I played against. And when you see a pitcher that I faced back then that I don't know if there's been any degradation of the stuff, it's still electric and it's still that good. You're like, um, how does that even possible? So um, it's been um, a remarkable run. Like you said, first ballot hall of famer in my eyes, he's just been uh and he says he wants to pitch more, yeah. a few more years, which why not? <laughs> why not? I mean, he's, he's just, he's probably going to win the Cy Young. I mean, it's, it's like, it's, it's one of the more incredible things we've seen off of a second Tommy John surgery as well. Uh, building off of that too, how does a team other than just playing fearlessly and, and riding what you've got, I mean, you run into the, the first ballot hall of famer, Justin Verlander, and then you run into all of the other pitchers that they have and the hitters that they have, and they're better than them in literally every single way, but there's a reason why we actually play the baseball games. What ultimately is it that allows the quote unquote lesser team to beat the better team in seven or in a seven game set? Well, you just, you just named every single reason. If you can forget about all those things and go between the lines and just concentrate on playing baseball, this is the same game we played for 162 games of regular season. We've gotten three rounds of the playoffs out of the way now. And if I treat this game as any other game, I'm gonna have an advantage. When you start thinking about, oh, wow, I'm facing Justin Verlander. Oh, wow, look at what they've got in Houston in their bullpen. Oh, wow, you know, we only won 88 games. They're a 100 game winning juggernaut that everyone expects to win. When you start focusing and concentrating on stuff like that, that's gonna take away from your performance. So I think, um, you know, you gotta look at, Thompson and how he's handled this team mentally to be able to focus just on the field and, and mm -hmm. on their game and not worry about anything else. Um, that says a lot about them. And it also says a lot with uh, Dusty Baker, you know, you talk about the long time off that these teams have had in between and he's kept this team very focused to a level where, you know, they end up sweeping the Yankees and in, in the ALCS. So um, that's where I think a manager plays uh, a, the biggest role possibly not only during the season, but in the postseason, to be able to keep your team focused on the right things and not let them stray mentally and start worrying about stuff they can't control. Yeah, you, you teed me up. Dusty Baker, which, by the way, you were one for three off of Justin Verlander uh, yes. with, with, with a single. So there you go. Um, Dusty Baker is is a legend in a lot of ways as well and, and seems like one of the most likable guys. I have not had the pleasure of meeting him, but I've Heard nothing but great things about Dusty. Every interview, you want to just root for the guy, too. The way he said, I'm going back to the World Series. That just got you. You couldn't help but be excited for him. Did you have much of a, did you cross paths much with Dusty Baker? Do you have any experiences with him and, or, you know, any thoughts on, on who he is as, as a manager and, and also just the fact that he's still doing what he's doing for one of the best teams in baseball at, at his stage of his career? At 73 years old. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's been a long time coming because, you know, my dad was a Dodgers fan. So I got to see Dusty Baker play in L.A. when I was a kid. You know, I'd see him out there with the outfield with Reggie Smith and, you know, Rick Monday and, and Dusty Baker were out in the outfield. And then obviously uh, I played against his teams um, when he was with the Giants. Um, and, you know, one experience to me stood out and tells you a little bit about the human being that he is over anything else. We were in the 90, 1994 All-Star Game. And uh, my dad came to the field with me. Um, he was on the bus going over and two people were on that bus that uh, my dad will remember for the rest of his life was Ozzie Smith. I remember this from the Ozzie Smith perspective. Ozzie Smith uh, was sitting right across from us uh, on the bus on the way to the ballpark and he engaged my dad and um, you know, they had a great conversation and my dad was just obviously 
beside himself that Ozzie Smith was talking to him and, and talking to him just like a regular person. And Dusty Baker, Dusty Baker, uh, my dad was on the field with me. So he talked to my dad, met my dad. And from that day forward, every time I ever saw Dusty Baker, he asked how my father was doing. And uh, that stuck with me, man. This guy is a people person. You can see why every player that's ever played for him loves him. Uh, they would run through a wall for him. Uh, he gets the most out of his players because of the human being that he is. Um, you know, I don't know what he does during games, you know, the, what, what his coachability is during games and what moves he makes to make himself set apart from everybody else. But I know that the players have the utmost respect and confidence in him. And I think that in general makes a team more comfortable, makes a team more confident, and that's going to win more games. I was going to say, you know, what, what do you, I think I know the answer to this, but what do you think is the most important thing for a manager? If you had to pick to, to excel at one, which is game management or, you know, being the kind of guy that your team really wants to play clubhouse, for. Clubhouse management, I think is collectively being able to manage 25 personalities and to have them all be on the same page, trying to achieve the same goal. I think is that's the most challenging thing in today's game, especially is to keep these guys focused and uh, keep your eye on the prize, which is the postseason and a ring. Um, I think that's the most important thing for a manager in my eyes. Well, and we'll, we'll get to Dombrowski in a moment, but while we're on the manager topic, uh, Skip Schumacher hired by, by the Marlins. And I'm sure you crossed over with him through some time. Very briefly in the very, he was just coming in while I was ending. I think his first year was 05 and I retired Mm -hmm. in 07. Okay. Um, So I know I played against him when he was with the Cardinals uh, Mm -hmm. when he first came up. Um, But you know what? There there again, you know, he comes from an organization with a pedigree that time and time again, I've used the Cardinals as an example of what an organization, what do they do? How do they construct their rosters? How do they construct their teams that make them so successful? Because they win every stinking year. Yeah, doesn't matter how much turnover they have. They get rid of Abu Pujols. They bring somebody in. They win. Uh, they get rid of whomever you want to name the player. They get rid of them, or they have a big change. They still win. Why? Uh, I think they have an organizational philosophy that they buy into from top to bottom, manager included. So, if you don't fit into their philosophy, this is by my experience of watching guys in that in that organization. Uh, if you don't fit in, they get rid of you, and they'll bring somebody else in because they don't want to disrupt that, that harmony that they have throughout the entire organization of disrupting that goal of producing a great product on the field that their fans love. And they got the best fans in baseball for a reason, because they know that every single year, this team is going to put a good product on the field. And there's someone that these fans get behind and root for. And I think the Cardinals have done a remarkable job of doing that year after year after year, regardless of their turnover. So you have somebody like Skip Schumacher who comes from that background with the Cardinals and, you know, with a phenomenal organization. And he, and he goes to a, a reeling organization in some ways with the Marlins right now trying to right the ship. And how much do you think a guy like Skip can apply what he learned, what he experienced in a different organization that's been doing this for a long time and, and try to apply that to the Marlins who? Let's be real. They hired him for a reason because they probably saw the same things. Craig Mish reported from the Miami Herald that Kim Ang was was basically impressed from the first conversation. Marlon center manager Kim Ang was impressed with the first conversation with Skip Schumacher, that the, the way that he carried himself, the things that he was saying, his philosophies, the way he approaches, you know, player management and all of those things. 
just and it, right away won the Marlins over and he became the priority for them, which I thought was very interesting given that, you know, he wasn't the most well-known or classic managerial candidate when we're seeing Joe Espada and some of these other names or former managers getting floated. How much do you think a manager can take that from a different organization and then apply it into their new organization and a job that they've, you know, not really held before? That's depend on the organization. You know, you can bring all your beliefs, all your uh, organizational experience from another organization and, and try to instill it on the players that you have. Or do you, as an organization, look to that guy as your leader? All right. So you think about your leader as the team president, the president of baseball operations and your general manager. Um, those are the people that kind of oversee all personnel. Right. So how, how much on board are they with what Skip Schumacher is bringing to the table? Are they going to give him uh, the players that he deems as going to fit into his system and, and do well? Or are they going to force feed other players that, you know, this is what we've got here. Work with it. Yeah. So find a way. I think it's an organizational philosophy. It's just not Skip Schumacher's philosophy. It's got to be an organizational philosophy because that's when you start developing minor league players. That's when you start developing their own talent and you bring them up in a system that you know that when they get to the big leagues, they know the system and you know what to expect out of them. Right. So yeah. Skip can only do so much. He can only, you know, direct who's on the field for him at that moment. But if he gets into interwoven in this organization and they really start to buy into a central philosophy, that's when things really take off and bloom, but it's going to take some time. It's going to take time. And, you know, I think the Marlins on, on paper this year, we're, we're not set up to be the most successful team ever, but I would say that they underachieved by whether you want to go by the Vegas predictions, whether you want to go by, you know, basically anybody they underachieved. And what we did see within the organization was, you know, I think a frustrated Don Mattingly and, and for the first time, some clubhouse issues. So you do talk about how important it is to kind of keep that team cohesive, have them playing together, have them playing for each other. And, you know, that wasn't always the case, at least from what we gathered uh, with some of the things that went down uh, behind closed doors and, and some of the hurdles that they had to have. So new guy in charge, we'll see how it goes, but I agree. It, it's a larger organizational philosophy that has to be applied from top to bottom uh, with Skip Schumacher, kind of the filling in the middle at the top. Dave Dombrowski's done this for several other organizations, including the Marlins. When you were there, he's, what now been to the world series with four different teams would be the correct way, which no one has ever done. Uh, and as a chance to, to now win another one, we, we saw him win it with the Marlins and then win it again with the Red Sox. He appeared with the Tigers and then now appears with the Phillies. Somehow Dombrowski is, has had a lot of turnover and it's because of his approach, which is fearless, aggressive, and he wants it all. And I kind of, I've been a little bit harsh. I'll admit it. I'll wear this one on my, I'll wear it. I did not see what he was doing with this Phillies team, especially defensively. I'm like, how is a team like that going to succeed? But guess what? This guy has forgotten more about baseball than I know. And, and that's very clear. He now gets back with this Phillies team. And he believes in star power. I sent you a thread from Brian Bannister that I thought was really fascinating. Someone who worked under Dombrowski for years and highlighted not only who he is as an executive, but who he is as a person, which I know you can speak to as well. How much does that matter? Uh, obviously, priority, player evaluation, player development, uh, making the right trades, doing the right things, hiring the right people. 
a lot of general managers are hands off. A, a lot of general managers don't like to get too close to the players because you got to fire them, you got to release them, you got to trade them, you got to fire your manager, you got to do a lot of things. So you don't want to get too close. There's always a little bit of a wall. What was your experience with Dombrowski in that regard? Because what it seemed like from the thread I read, he might go a little bit differently in terms of that approach and, and is not afraid to get close, or at least somewhat close relatively to other general managers and presidents to his players and employees. Yeah, he does things a little bit differently. I think, um, you know, that's what I knew when I first came into the big leagues was Dave Dombrowski. So, you know, I'd see him in the clubhouse. I'd see him come every once in a while early and, and work out, you know, in our, in our gym and, um, he'd be present in the locker room occasionally. It's not there all the time, you know, cause I believe that that's our space, but you know, post BP, he was never there. We we're talking during the day, he'd come in, check in on guys and see how things were going. And, um, subsequently other organizations, I never saw the GM or the president in the locker room, never saw the owner, anybody in the locker room ever. And it goes both ways, right? Some guys are like, hands off. I don't want front office in my clubhouse. I don't want mm-hmm. these guys over here. Um, but on for me, I thought, hey, he wants to know the product that he's put together. He wants to know these guys. What makes him tick? Um, he's not trying to be buddy-buddy, I don't think. He's not trying to be friends with us, but he just wants to know. He wants to get to know you. And I think that makes him make better decisions on the person themselves. Because as you know, I'm a big people person in this game. I want to know the type of person that I have in my clubhouse not necessarily just the stats on a piece of paper. I don't, I don't care about that. I want to know how, what he brings to my team as a man and as a teammate. And I think Dave Dombrowski over the years really puts his pulse on that and creates teams that do that in the clubhouse. And uh, you cannot, um, you can't fault the record. The record speaks for itself. Four teams, four different teams to world series is, is unbelievable. And I know when, he was given the task by Wayne Heising in 1997. We, you know, Wayne Heising wanted to know if baseball would work in South Florida from a standpoint of fans. And he said, Dave, I'm opening up my checkbook. You go get whatever you need to give us a World Series contender. And Dave Dombrowski did that. But he put together us, you know, not, not only we have superstars. Yeah, okay, we had great players, but personalities together that that gelled and we played together as one and I mean it was just crazy how well everyone got along and and how well we played together and and you know the outcome I mean it was uh he did a great job would you say that 97 team was one of the most cohesive you've been a part of yeah yeah I mean I think any team and you could talk to any player that's won a world championship they're all going to say that that team was cohesive because you need that to get all the way through it maybe you know, some of the Yankee teams that had so much talent, it was ridiculous that, but I, I still think they played together as a team. Joe Torre did an amazing job of pulling all those personalities together and having them play as one unit. So I think any, anybody that wears a ring can say that that clubhouse that they won with was, you know, they played more closely than any other team that they, that they played on. So there's a lot of separating factors about Dombrowski and what makes him a, a great GM and, and a great president of baseball operations. But would you say one of the, the biggest differentiators is his ability to evaluate the human element in his in his players? Yeah. And, no, you know, you can't there's no analytic really um, to, to focus on that. He reads the players. He reads the personnel. And like you said, even the employees that he hires, he reads these guys and knows that they can get the most out of the people that he's hiring below them, players, uh, other scouts, whomever you're going to hire below these people in charge of divisions. 
And I think that's where he excels most. And I think that's why he's been so successful. And what's fascinating to me is, is he's talked about like trusting your gut feeling. And that's something that almost is, is frowned upon in, in today's baseball world where you have so much information, you have so much data, you have all these things at your disposal, which Dombrowski undoubtedly uses and undoubtedly has people under him that exclusively do that and provide him with that information. But ultimately he goes off of, of that feel and a little bit of everything in between. What I thought was fascinating was, was just the, the good things that you hear about him as a person and, and as the way he conducts himself and, you know, how that kind of just trickles down all the way, you know, from top to bottom. Uh, you, you also had the opportunity to play for multiple world series teams. General manager in 2003 was different. How much of it is, is luck you think for some of these teams that put together the right team at the right time that gets hot and how much of it really is mastery. I mean, with Dombrowski, he's been to the world series with four teams. You, like you said, the the record speaks for itself. Uh, Sometimes I feel like maybe a general manager puts together a team, it all works. And then they can kind of ride off of that for a while. Uh, How do you feel about that? Well, you know, you got to look at some teams have uh, a lot more budget constraint than other teams where Dombrowski's played for uh, pretty, you know, good owners that will give him free reign to do what he wants to do. So now I can go hand pick uh, who I want in that situation. I've got four players to choose from. I can really get in to see what kind of person one of those four players are that fits into my system and pick that one where when you've got not much money to work with, you might only have one option and that's the option you have to go with. So uh, while the GMs that are on the bottom third of say the, uh, you know, the revenue scale, you don't have as much. uh, I think you almost have to be as good or not, if not better uh, to create a winning team. So you got to pluck those players that you know will fit into your system and you've got one shot to do it, you know, and if it doesn't work, then, well, the whole thing doesn't work where, you know, with somebody that's got unlimited budget, you can kind of just shop around and know, which is also a skill who to bring in and how it's going to uh, affect the entire clubhouse and and on the field play to get you where you want to be, which is uh, the world series. So we'll do the Jersey and the Jersey guess, and then we'll wrap up with your prediction on this series uh, and who you think is going to win. I know you're wearing a Phillies Jersey and I think we already did Mike Schmidt, right? So unless, unless it is Mike Schmidt, it's not, it's a, is it? Nope. Nope. It's a more recent Phillies Jersey hall of famer or no. Uh, He is. Yeah. He's a hall of famer. Phillies hall of famer, Steve Carlton. Nope. Good one though. Can we get a, uh, a a decade? Give me a decade span. I played against him um, and did not rise to fame with the Phillies. Pedro Martinez. <laughs> no, he played there briefly. So you're saying he started early with the Phillies? Nope. I said he came from somewhere else. He made his. Okay. So Pedro wasn't the worst guest. Um, he, was a, he was a stud before he got to the Phillies. Stud before he got to the Phillies. And you have his Phillies jersey. One of the nicest human beings you'll ever meet in a baseball uniform. Pitcher or position player? Position player. One of the nicest humans. Started off as a third baseman. Started off as a third baseman. Not Pat Burrell. He's not a Hall of Famer. So, yeah, I forgot. We said Hall of Famer. Um, Wow, I got to give you a lot of clues on this one. Yeah, started as a, sorry, what was it? Left-hand hitter. 
left-handed hitter started as a third baseman and then went to the Phillies? Start off as third baseman, but moved to first. Start off as a third baseman, moved to first. It's obviously – you said Hall of Famer, so I'm not going to say Ryan Howard. Um, and he couldn't be through lefty. Uh, you got me on this one. I don't know. I don't know if I have it. It's going to bother me. I'm going to be mad. You're turning. Let's see what it is. Jim Tomey started as a third baseman. I didn't even know that. With the Indians, yeah. Really? He was, he was over at third base, yeah. I should have I should have guessed Jim Tomey regardless. I, I I did get to meet him when I was a little kid uh, at, at Citizens Bank. Um, yeah, one of the best power hitters to ever do it. I didn't even know he came up as a third baseman. Should have known that. Early, early on. I believe he was a third baseman, then they switched him over to first base. So you say one of the nicest guys. I, I mean, actually didn't know that. What, salt yeah, of the earth. Just, just a great, great human being. Played forever. Um, went back to – I think he went back to, to Cleveland at the end, right? Is like a pinch hitter. Uh, came off the bench, just still was able to mash home runs whenever. One of, one of the greatest to really – ever do it uh, over 600 home runs and a lot of things really well. Did, did you have any specific crossovers with him or any times where he really killed you guys? Cause I know Philly Oh three to Oh five was when he was there uh, and then went back again in 2012 when he was 41 years old, still had an 854 OPS in 30 games. Uh, he must've been a pain in the ass to face. He was scary. Yeah. He was scary. You did not want to face him um, as a first baseman because you don't want to be holding anybody on first base when he's up to the plate. But he has one of those guys that he struck out a lot, but he walked a lot and um, monster power, man. He could change the game at any time. And just, a, I don't know, just a, just a, you know, you, you have his little, my little conversations with him at first base. Cause he played first base. I played first base and just, just genuinely would ask you a question. Like, how you doing, man? And like, you know, he meant it, you know, he was just a, a super nice guy. Wasn't wasn't the obligatory uh, hello? How often are, are are you talking at first base? Like how often? At what percent of players that reach first base are you actually exchanging words with? Um, close to a hundred percent. Really? Yeah. Close See, to in 100%. high school, I didn't talk to any of those guys. Like, yeah. Ever. Um, it might be as just a little as "Hey, man, what's up?" type thing. But you're saying something to almost everybody. It's like almost uncomfortable. They get to first base and you just look at them. You don't say anything. You know, it's like it's a big fraternity up there. So you even know in the playoffs, play and playoffs, World Series, whatever, you just got to treat it like any other game. It's not all of a sudden you hate the other side because <laughs> you know because you're in the World Series. You're still just basically facing the pitcher. So I don't know. I just try to keep it loose. I like that. I like that. I love knowing that Jim Tomey was a good guy uh, because again, 612 homers. It's a great baseball player as well. Let's go to the World Series prediction to wrap up here. We've got the heavy favorites with the Astros, but I know that doesn't mean anything to you. Um, you've been there plenty of times, whether it's just through the years of playing or actually being the team that pulls off the upset yourself. Who you got? Astros, Phillies. I could have worn an Astros jersey today. <laughs> that is true. I will say that. I could have worn an Astro. I've got a bunch of those. I don't um, think we've done a Nolan Ryan yet. I don't oh, think yeah, we, we have. We have, we, we did, have, yeah. we did Nolan Ryan. See, I got to remember the ones I've worn. Cause I almost that's the, that's that the out. challenge. That's the I challenge. Picked that one out. I'm like, no, I definitely worn Nolan Ryan before. Um, but I think, uh, I don't know. I, uh, my, my gut or my heart wants to say Phil or the Astros, but my gut wants to say Phillies, man. I just think um, they had got that it factor this year. And they're that team that just no one expected them to do what they're doing. And 
I like those kind of teams. That's who I'm rooting for. Bryce Harper came up. Last thing I'm going to ask you came up really controversial player. The rubbed a lot of vets the wrong way. What's it been like watching the way he's performed this postseason, and and also just the the way he's carried himself? He, he seems like he's really grown up in a lot of ways, and it's been pretty cool to see. Well, you gotta gotta keep in mind he was in the big leagues at 19 years old, so he's a kid, right? Yeah, and uh, he was touted like no other player, maybe of his generation. Cover Sports Illustrated when he was the like chosen one, years old or unfair. So it's like, you know, this, he obviously had a chip on his shoulder. He obviously had, he was a, uh, a player of high confidence, but I think you've seen him involved, evolve into a leader. Um, you know, there are run-ins with other veteran players early on in his nationals days. And, but now when you look at him and see the way the other guys react to him when he comes around for a home or a home run or uh, post uh, game celebrations, the way they react, interact with him, I think is, says a lot and they uh, really look up to that guy. Yeah. You know, I think of the, the Barry Bonds of the world and, and things like that. I don't know if you ever saw his, his teammates quite get as excited, uh, maybe unless those, those record breaking bombs, which. But the, you know, the, the interaction tells me all, you know, yep, it tells me everything. I, I, I agree. See. And that's the thing that I don't think most fans would look at. And, and it does tell you a lot. Uh, all right. You're on record. Phillies. I had Astros in seven because I'm I'm lame and that's what I think is going to happen. But I hope it's Phillies. It would be a lot of fun. And Dombrowski could really just ride off into the sunset and I think into the Hall of Fame uh, if he if he. Picks I will up say, you know, we one. talked about this earlier. Is that you know I text Dave Dombrowski uh, before the first round of the playoffs. I had meant to text him earlier, but I just forgot because that's who I am. But uh, I remembered. I think it might have been first inning of a game that the Phillies are playing. I'm going to just say, Dave, I just want to say good luck and, and hope, you know, you go far in the playoffs. And he texts me back within a minute. Like I was like, Holy crap. He's probably at the ballpark right now. He saw my text and realized or whatever. That's what he does. He te- he texts me back right away. And, and then once again, you know, I text him uh, the other day, just say, Hey man, four more to go, you know, you got four wins to go uh, to, to win it all. And right within a minute, right. Text me back. And I just, that's a gift. It really that's- is. It's amazing. That's what the Brian Bannister thread said. Literally, it was that, that the way he is uh, that way with responsiveness, care, and and just being so personable and uh, pretty cool that you, you still have that communication and, and relationship with him. You got me rooting for the Phillies as well. I'll happily be wrong on that one uh, with that prediction. I just want it to go seven. I hope it does. It should be a classic. And I'm looking so. forward to talking about it when it's all over and, and you and I can uh, kind of break down what you think happened from a player's perspective and, and how things shook out. You're on record, Phillies in seven, and we will talk to you probably after the World Series. No, you said Astros in seven. I'm saying Phillies oh, in six. Did I say, you're saying Phillies in six. Yeah. Phillies in six. They don't even need the seventh game. All right. We'll be circling back after the World Series to break it all down. Uh, Until then, this is Outside the Box with Jeff Kona. 